this morning, I want to talk a little bit about something that's close to my heart. Um, God has uh, revealed some things to me this week, and um, I'm going to try to get through it without losing my composure. Uh, I get tunnel vision pretty bad. I think a lot of us do. We we tend to latch on to our views of things, the things that we see, we latch on to those things from our particular vantage point. And we we like to we, we make our decisions on everything that we see and that we understand. So what are you talking about? We each see something differently going on in life because we're different people. <coughs> living in, di in different situations. You can have people that all witness something together. They all see something that happens and um, you go and ask them what happened and each person will give a completely, sometimes completely different uh, order of events or things that happen because they all see things differently. It may go along the same timeline, but uh, each person will say something different from there, depending on where they were standing, what they were hearing, or maybe even uh, they were standing right beside one person and they just noticed different things than the other person did. That's how a, a, a detective, like a, if there's a crime that happens and they bring in a couple of witnesses and they ask them what happened, that's how they know when they're lying to them. It's a dead giveaway whenever they ask these people a question and are asking what happened and their account is exactly the same as the other one. Because the detective knows that each person sees things differently. And so they don't expect everything to match perfectly. And so I say this because I... Um, we encourage you to get to your Bible and read your Bible and study the Word. And, you know, you might say, well, I've read the Bible. I've heard people say, I've read the Bible. I've read it twice. I've read it three times. Well, the reason why we encourage you to read the Bible every day, research the Bible every day if you can, is because as you grow and as you experience things and as you go through things, you're going to see things differently. And different things are going to come out to you that never came out before. You're going to see things from a different vantage point than you did before. Now, I don't remember, I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to be preaching on a passage of Scripture here today, and I don't remember if I preached on this passage before in this church, but if I have, it's okay, because I see something different that the Lord gave me this time that He hadn't before. And we need to understand that there are things that our neighbors are going through. There are things that people see around us that are differently than the way we see it. And they're, the, thing that they're taught, the thing that they're seeing and witnessing could be just as legitimate as what you are. There could be more than one view to things. God wants us to study His Word and learn from His Word and experience the things in His Word so that we can understand Him better. The more we go through things, the more we can uh, put things together and understand a little bit more about the personality of God. 
Such as I've told you that God wants us to forgive people, forgive our neighbor unconditionally. Why does he want us to do that? Because he wants us to understand him better because that's exactly what he does to us. We can understand it. It's like an object lesson. Sometimes though we fail to learn the lesson that we go through, the thing that we read about that helps us in our life, we fail to apply that to how God really is. And so I ask you this morning, when you're thinking about this, and you're thinking about God, how do you view God? How do you view Him? How do you see Him? How do you think His personality is? So many of us, we see Him as an emotionless, emotionless deity that has certain attributes. I've been guilty of this. We see that He's a promise keeper. We see that He's the Father. And we might apply an emotion of jealousy from a father. We see some of, some of us see that he's a judge and that he shows only emotion whenever he's angry. But I believe that God smiles. Amen. What makes him smile? I believe that God laughs. What makes him laugh? Have you ever given it any thought about how he created us in his own image? He created us in his image. He's the model. He used himself as the model on what he did with us. So if we are logical and creative and intelligent and emotional beings, it's reasonable to conclude that he is too. So just think, if, you, if he can love and hate and laugh and cry then that must mean that he can also experience pain as well. Why would he ever cry if he never experienced pain? If he never experienced uh, rejection? Why would he ever get angry if he wasn't appalled at injustice and sin? How can he create beings like us that experience those things unless he, he experiences these things himself? You ever heard the saying, you can't lead somebody where you've never been yourself? That's very true. Why would he insist on casting judgment on people for their sins if it did not harm him in some way? Am I saying that a person can hurt God? I'm saying God has indeed given mankind the power to cause him some kind of hurt. By the simple fact that He has given us free will. The simple fact that He has given us our choice and then He's loved us on top of that. Whenever you love somebody, whenever you give your heart to somebody, you love somebody, you care about them, you're giving them the power to potentially hurt you. Just want you to know that. You're giving them the power. If they choose to hurt you, you're giving them close enough access that they can indeed hurt you. So this is the thing, this is the same way with God. God can feel pain. God can feel anguish. God can hurt. There's proof of this all over the Bible. And if we can offend or hurt God, then, then why don't we ever consider this whenever we're going through something that we're going through? When we're dealing with certain things, why don't we ever think about this? Today, I'm going to be talking about something that I know is near and dear to some of you, and it's very dear, it's very important to me. 
And I know that there's people that's going to be watch, that's watching this on uh, Facebook right now. Or they will later or whatever. I want to appeal to the parents today. I want to appeal to you parents today who have grown children that are wayward. Grown children that are not following God. Grown children that it, it breaks your heart because of where they're at. And I also want to talk to those today that maybe you're wayward right now. Maybe you're in a bad place right at this very moment. I want to talk to you about, as a parent, what we have to do. How we have to wait for rock bottom. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11. says, Then he said, this is Jesus speaking, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the paws that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. We see here the story of the prodigal son. You all know the story. There's still more to this parable, but I'm not going to be talking about the other son today. The son asked his dad for his inheritance. He asked him, his dad's still alive. You usually don't get an inheritance until your dad is not here anymore. But he wants his inheritance right now. And his dad knew that his son was asked. He asked for this in selfishness and for the wrong reasons. His dad knew this. And the father could have refused to give it to him knowing what was best for him. His dad knew what was best for him. How many of his parents do those things? We want to do what's best for our kids, even our adult children. We try to do what's the best for them and try to move them in that direction. The father might have not had to, he might have been able to just influence him, influence his son not, not to go. And perhaps he could have reasoned with him and even persuaded him to stay. 
He might have been able to do that. But no amount of uh, persuasive words was going to root out the selfishness in this young man's heart. There was nothing that he could say to change his heart. If he would have done this, if he would have got him to stay, if he would have forced him to stay, if he would have given his inheritance, then all the long years that his dad was still alive after that moment, the son would have never been satisfied or happy with what he had at home. Have you ever been in that place you're not satisfied or happy with what you have? There's a saying that says, you don't know what you got until it's gone. Isn't that the truth so often? This young man would have been, uh, would have been uh, mesmerized by the illusion of the luster and the vibrant lights of this far country. He would have still been watching and still been longing for that. He might have been physically there, but in his heart he would not have been there. And he would have despised where he was at. And let me just put it into, I, I, I would be jumping forward and, and putting this into kind of in our perspective in our day and age. Because this young man would have probably been sitting there and he would have been on the, the internet or on, and watching television and he'd be still watching them glamorize all, this, all the celebrities and their mansions and all their great friends that are surrounding them. Or he would have always been watching that sports hero imagine, imagining that he could be the next person if he would have just went and they'd be showing instant replays of him memorizing his snacks. <clears throat> or perhaps he... He would have been sitting there and he would have been watching whatever the new voice show is out there now. I don't know what they are. It's been so long since I've watched any of them. It was American Idol last time I watched one. And he might have had, he might be still watching the television and, and just thought, you know what? If I could just be there to sing and hear heard my voice, I could have been something. He'd have never been happy at home with his father. He would have been so deceived. By what he thought he had given up because his dad had forced him to stay, that he would have never appreciated anything his father had provided for him. If his dad had forced him to stay, even though it was best for him, he would have become bitter. He would have become completely bitter towards him. And happiness would have never found him. So the father, knowing his son, his father's wise, and he knows his son is going to uh, use it for his own selfish pleasure. And, and it's exactly, it's actually going to bring him sorrow. And it's going to put him on a, a, a path that could even lead to death. If he gives him this, he still gives it to him. Because he knows that the alternative is no better. Of course, we know that the son goes into our country and that's exactly what we think. But I think about the father. And I think about what his emotion was. How did he feel? You know that the day that he was leaving, the day that his son packed up the U-Haul and took off and left, his father had had to have wept. He had to have watched his son disappear. Watching him leave on the horizon, no longer being there. Feeling like something was coming to an end. So how do you know this? It doesn't say that. Because if you skip down to the story to verse 24, you can see something that happens when the son comes home. It's something that reveals the way the father seen things. 
whenever he, whenever his son was gone, in verse 24 it says, For this my son was dead and is alive. He's rejoicing at the other end. So we understand that whenever this son left and while he was gone, his father mourned him because he was gone. To him he was gone, he was dead. And what parent wouldn't cry for their, for their child? He would spend many nights weeping on the loss. Stepping out and look, watching the horizon, watching to see if he's going to come home. Wondering. So let's go with the son. He goes into the far country. <laughs> Boy, he becomes the life of the party. Friends seem to love him. Everybody's there hanging out with him. Maybe he even ends up on TV too. And everybody's going, Boy, I wish I was like that guy. He's got all his friends surrounding him. And, and, or perhaps he does go to, to, the, to, to the city, to the far place, and he, he ends up getting that, that contract with the Tree Chiefs, and he's the MVP going to the Super Bowl in a couple weeks. Or maybe he's before Simon Cowell and, and before millions of, of all these people. Simon Cowell says, I've never heard anybody yodel quite like you are, and you are a wonderful singer. <clears throat> that was meant to be a joke. <laughs> What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> Whatever case he's gotten there, he's in the big time. He's living it up. He's made it. He is, he's part of the it crowd. Looks like all his dreams have come true. But then comes the famine. Then comes the hard times. In that day and age, man could not cause a famine. In this day and age, Man can cause a famine because we rely on an economy. But in that day and age, man couldn't hold back rain and cause a famine. Only God could do that. So a famine comes upon the land and comes upon the area he's at. And the famine represents the unforeseen, inevitable, difficult times of life. They're inevitable. You're going to go through famines. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to have difficult times in your life. Do you believe that today? You're all going, I'm not going to amen that. I don't like difficult times. I don't blame you. But when the famine comes, you're going to discover what you built your house upon. You're going to find out what you put your priorities in. You're going to find out if your ladder's leaned up against the right side of the right building. A lot of people are going to be climbing the corporate ladder and figure out it was leaned up against the wrong building when they get to the top. You're going to find out what your house is made of, whether it's on stable ground, on a rock, or if it's on that unstable, shifting sand. When the famine comes, everything changes. When the famine comes, you find out who your, who, who your true friends really are. When the famine comes, you find out who really loves you. When the famine comes, you'll discover exactly what you will do in desperation. And you will find yourself doing some things that you never thought that you would do, whether that's bad or good. You see, so for many people who's built their house upon the rock and hard times come, they will find that they will be able to move into a level of faith in their God that they never thought that they could. If your house is built upon the sand, you will find that you will degrade the places you never thought you would go. Famine changes everything. And his son, we know the story, he squandered his money to maintain his extravagant lifestyle. 
And during the famine, the money runs out, and maybe he's invested his money in a stock market and it crashes, or the weekend before he, he was still playing a Super Bowl and he injures himself so bad that he's he's never going to recover again to the point that he can ever play football again. Or perhaps the yodeling's out and rappers in. I don't know. But something happens and you can lose everything that quickly. When the hard times comes that ends that selfish lifestyle, there's nothing left. When there's nothing left that you had before, when you have nothing left in, in your life for these worldly friends to take from you, they cast you aside. There's who comes to the next victim. In desperation, the son makes a deal with a local hog farmer. He's going to feed hogs, ten pigs. You say, that don't sound too bad. Well, in order to understand the, the gravity of this passage, you have to understand the culture in, the, in that day and who Jesus, exact, who Jesus was speaking to exactly at that time. The Jews did not and still do not eat pork. A pig is an unclean animal in the eyes of Jews and was then. So the Jews did not raise hogs. The people that raised hogs were unbelievers and mostly pagans that usually used them to sacrifice to some false pagan god. They used pigs. So if you imagine, so the, the image you get here is that there's this Jewish boy who hasn't become a worshiper of this false god He's become a servant reliant upon this false god to make it. He's become a slave to this false god. He's been reduced to feeding the things that will be sacrificed to this false god. Feeding the things that promote evil in the world and feeding the very things that wars against anything that's good. And this is complete desecration for a Jew. What, the, what Jesus was telling them is you can't get any lower than what this guy hit. He, went, he is completely out of his element. If we looked at it in our day and age, he, we would say he, they got to the point where they were a, a gay prostitute or they were an assassin of women and children or that they were sex trafficking and kidnapping little boys and little girls. He, he was that depraved. He was in a, a bad, terrible place and he was in an occupation that he absolutely despised. He truly hit rock bottom. The good thing about rock bottom is there's a rock there. Can't go any further. It's only then that he comes to his senses. He has nowhere to look but up. He's not going down any further. At this point, he knows how bad he's done his father. He thinks about his dad. He thinks about the life he came with, came from. And he thinks about how bad he did his dad and the, and the guilt is welling up in him and Satan whispers in his ear and says, you know how you turned your back on them? They turned their back on you too. Because that's what Satan does. If you're capable of doing something and you do somebody wrong, then you just assume that everybody does that. So that's probably where he was at. He was in a place where he didn't think he was worthy of anything. There was nothing back there in his dad's house for him that he was going to inherit. But then something else happens while he's there. He remembers something. He remembers how good his father is. 
He remembers the attributes, the personality of his dad. He remembers that his dad is a good guy. He remembers that he treated his employees very well. He owns Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby or something. They're building everywhere. Maybe he can go back and clean the toilets for him or something. Be one of his employees. I mean, after all, his dad treats everybody, even the lowest of the low, with dignity and respect because his dad is a good man. Good guy. He'd be far better off going and doing the lowest job for his dad than where he's at right now. And so he repents. In essence, he repents. He changes his mind. The way we know he repents is because his actions follow. You do what you believe. You know that, don't you? You actually do what you believe. The, the word here, repent, means to change your mind. And if you change your mind, then your actions follow where your mind went. Repentance isn't just remorse. Repentance is a change of direction. A change of your mindset. You change your mind, your, the rest of you follows. And so he repents and he goes to his father. When he, when he approaches him, his father sees him a ways off. You notice his father's watching him. His father sees him coming. In that day and age, you had the... the, the town council sitting at the gate and if they seen him coming, if they seen anybody that was like, like this that done their, their family so wrong and they seen him coming, they would have run him off as he got there. They would have tried humiliating him. They would have, they would have just tried to, to bury him. Oh, you're not ready to go back there? Don't you remember? We all know what you did to your dad. We know what you are. See, this story is so important for us. Because his dad's watching. And when he's a long way off, you know, his dad could have said, well, here he comes. He's got it coming. I'll take him in whenever, I, whenever he gets back here. No. His dad sees him out there. And he runs past the town council. Out there, meets him. Grabs him, hugs him, kisses him, and he takes his robe and he puts it on him. The stinking guy that just came out of the pig pen. He left with the robe. You know, he left with robes and rings and everything else. He came back with nothing. And his dad takes what he has and, uh, and he says, You're again my son. So that whenever he's bringing him into the city, they have nothing to say to him because he has declared him his son. The father's a good man. Accepts him. Takes him back. He sees that the son had come hobbling back. He's seen that he repented. He's seen the actions. A couple of things I want to say about the father. These are some of the things that the Lord showed me. The father of the story, we need to learn from a couple of things, a couple of his actions. The father was in anguish when his son left. He mourned him as a dead child. He went through that pain. He suffered. He hurt. But do you know something that he did not do? He did not go into the far country to go get his son. 
He did not go into the far country to drag him home. You know, when we look at God and, and we look at the parables, we want to focus on the, the parable that's at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, which is the parable about the shepherd that leaves the 99 to go after the one lamb that's wandered away, that's lost. And that's good. We, that's true. He does. But there's a difference in how that, that one ended up somewhere else. The one that wandered away is the one that got preoccupied with life. If you think about the lamb, the lamb probably starts saying, oh, there's another tuff of green grass over here. I'll just go eat that. Oh, here's another one. Oh, I'll eat that. Well, there's one of those berries I like. I'll go over there and eat that. And they just got preoccupied. And before you know it, he was lost. He didn't make some wicked decision. God said, oh, I'm going to go I'm gonna lose myself today. <laughs> no, he wandered off. And so, Jesus leaves the 99, and the shepherd leaves the 99, goes after the one. That's a great, wonderful story. But the story we're talking about here is a son that was in the house with the father. He lived there. He was in the great, the glorious things there with his dad. And he decided to take whatever it is that he gave to him and leave. To sin. To turn his back on everything that was given to him. It's a willful rebellion against the Lord. Against his dad. This, this story is dealing with those who made that decision to willfully live in sin. And make a choice to live in sin for themselves and not God. They choose to defy God and live in drugs and alcohol and premarital sex and homosexuality and greed and lust and adultery and lying and stealing. And the list can go on and on and on. They make their decision to live for themselves. The father doesn't go try and drag his son out of that life. He does the hardest thing a father ever had, has to do with that child. And that is leave him to his own devices. It's so hard for a parent. First Timothy said you should never do that. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 19 says... Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. I don't know what the hell you say the first name. Hymenus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says, Deliver such a one. What, what one? One that's steeped in sexual immorality in the church. It's one that is not repentant of their sin. Willfully living in sin. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This is a hard message and I'm probably going to catch some flack for this one. That's alright. So many parents keep running after their kids and keep dragging them back into their home. Or they themselves, they go get an apartment and they stay, they go to the far country and dwell with them. Trying to get them to change their mind. Trying to help them out. If that's you, I want to speak to you today. You're experiencing terrible pain at the hand of your loved one. You're experiencing awful pain at what they've done and what they're doing. They keep breaking your heart over and over and over again. 
I want you to know that Satan is using them. Satan is using them. He's using them to hurt you and to disable you in your walk with God. It just might be time to let them go live out the sin in that far country. It might just be time for you to stop supporting them to keep them from hitting rock bottom. Be mindful. One of the hardest things that I have had to learn myself is be mindful that you can be the one in your love and your affection towards that one. You can be the one that's holding them back from returning to the Lord. You can be the one stopping this. The way Satan works is he starts whispering to you and he tells you that it's your responsibility to be there for that child. He uses your love for them against you to cause you to feel feelings of guilt to blind you. Why does he do this? So that you will further enable that child to continue in their wicked lives. In this way, Satan keeps at least two people bound with one board. He keeps two people bound with one rope. He keeps you, he keeps you held down. You notice in the story, what he says in the story is that no one, the son, the famine hits, all his friends are around him, the famine hits, he runs out of money, and no one gave him nothing. You know how important this is? Do you know what would happen if somebody would have went there and gave him something? Oh, here, you, you have to eat. Oh, here, you have to have this. Oh, we've got to at least take care of your basic needs. You know what that's going to keep him from? The pig pen. It's going to keep him from rock bottom. If it keeps him from rock bottom, they're never going to turn around. They're never going to change their mind. If there's no consequences for sin, if there's no consequences for what they've done, they're never going to change their mind. You have to allow them to, to when, if they're unrepentant, you have got to allow them to hit rock bottom. It has to happen. You say, why? Why? Why are you yelling about this? Because I have had parents come up to me and cry and weep for their kids and they're, they're, they're mourning. I understand it. I understand the, the feeling, the pain. I get it. I've had so many people that's been bound up in their walk with God because they're so wound up with everything that's going on with their kids that's putting them through hell here on earth that they cannot focus or understand the joy and the peace that God wants them living in. That's what happens. Some of the things we have to understand is that our children, when they're grown, are not babies anymore. They are adults. They make up their own mind. They do the things that they do because that's what's in their heart. Oh, my baby's a good baby. My, my child, he's a good boy. Really, he knocked off that 7 weapon down the road, shot somebody in the kneecap. That's a good boy. No, if your child is doing wicked and evil things, they need saved. Yeah. They're not 
They're not a good boy or good girl. They're wicked. Their lives need to be changed. They lash out and they abuse you and cut you off. Or they, they abuse you and they, they cut you if you if you hold back into your provision. I've had so many parents come to me and say, you wouldn't believe what they said to me. If your child can't talk to you with some respect, don't talk to them. See, that's not godly. First Peter chapter 3, verse 12 says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. What's that saying? That's saying God don't even listen to somebody that's like that. He don't expect you to. You cannot let your child's decisions grieve you over and over again. It's going to cause you to become bitter. You're going to become useless in the kingdom of God. God's not going to be able to use you. Learn a lesson from this father. Wait for your child to come to their senses. Wait for, their, wait for your child to experience the consequences of their sins. Wait for your child to lose whatever they have to lose. This one had to lose everything. I want to point out to you, he could have gone home long before he lost everything. Some people will learn a lot sooner than others. Allow them to hit rock bottom. You say, I don't think that's what God... I don't think that's what God would do. I can just hear it all over the internet. That's not being loving. Who do you think is telling the story? Jesus. Who do you think the Father is in the story? God. If God, and I want you to hear me today, if God has to step back and wait for that way we're going to come home, but don't kid yourself into thinking that you're going to go do something that he can't do himself. If that's what he has to do, you're not going to be able to change his mind. God can't go down there and change your mind. When, you're when you chase your child in that country, you're going to pay for it over and over again. They're going to hurt you over and over again. The nightmares are never going to end. Believe me, I have seen Many people with their grown children and problems they've had because they're dealing with their, their sin problems. There's bitterness in their hearts and they're emotionally bankrupt. Their finances are a mess and their marriages are a mess. And they don't have any faith in God that He really cares about them. It's hard to believe that God loves you when you're going through that kind of misery. So often you see these grown kids, and I've seen them a lot of times, these grown kids that come to the Lord. After the parents have passed away. After the grandparents have passed away. After aunts and uncle have passed away. Why? Because the one that was enabling them from hitting rock bottom is not there anymore. And they finally hit rock bottom and changed their mind. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. When that child comes to their senses. And they repent. They're gonna, they'll, they'll come home. We have to be ready to welcome them home. Be watching for them. And welcome them. I, I read a story about, about this. A true story. It's an illustration I read today. but It was, it, it was a true story. A woman, her daughter left their, their country home. A little small town. And she went to the big city. You know, she was going to live there. And live it up. Even though her mom... Tried talking her out of it. 
And she would write home, and you know, this obviously been a while, they're still writing letters, but she would write home pretty regularly, and the letters got to be more sparse and more sparse until finally the letters just stopped altogether. The mother went to the city to look for her daughter. And she didn't know where to go, so she goes to this little mission there that uh, helps the homeless, and there's this missionary there, and he says, she says, can you help me find my daughter? He says, I'm, I'll tell you what to do, and if you, if you, I'll help you if you do what I tell you to do. She says, okay. He says, I'm going to take a picture of you, and I want you to go get a hundred pictures made. He tells her the size, big pictures. And he takes a picture of the woman, and she goes, and she gets the, the film developed, and she gets a hundred photos made of her. And he, she brings them to him. She goes, okay, now what? He hands her a pen. And he says, I want you to write on every one of those pictures, come home. That's it. Come home. And so she does that. She writes that on every one of them. He says, now give those to me, and I will go out, and I will go to the, the clubs, and to the, the strip joints, and to the uh, bars, and all these places, and I'll put these up. You go home and wait. She's like, are you sure? He said, yeah, you go home and wait. So she goes home, and he goes out, and he puts this picture up of this mother with the words in her own handwriting, come home. And lo and behold, in one of those dark places, this gal, who was in a very bad place, comes in, and she happens to see her mom's face across the room on a wall. And her handwriting said, come home. She went home. Tell your child the truth. Let them know that you welcome them home. Let them know that you welcome them back. Tell them the truth about their life and what's going to happen to them. But don't go live in the squalor and in the misery with them. You go home. You go worship God. You go live for the Lord. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. And one day, they're going to hit rock bottom. And they're going to remember what you taught them. And they're going to come home. So where's God in all this? Something God showed me about this. I want you to know that God loves your child. And He doesn't just love your child as much as you. God loves your child more than you. He loves your child more than you're even capable of loving them. This is something that He's shown me. He loves my children more than I can even... I can't even love them that much. That's how much He loves them. And He's done... I, you know, I pray and I ask God in the hard times. I, you know, you, you, your child has gone wayward and you're, you're praying, your heart's torn and you weep over this loss and because they're in a deadly life, they're in a place where they're, they're going to die and something's going to happen to them. You cry out to God. I want you to know that God's heart is broken for them as well. 
We like to sit there and we like to say, God is weeping with us and He's empathizing with us. He's, he's hurting because you're hurting. I want you to know something. He is doing that, but He's not just doing that. He was weeping long before you ever started weeping for that child. He was hurt. He was, he was worried. He was, he, 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 he was concerned for that child long before you ever were. He wept for us long before we ever started weeping for that child. It's a scary thing to hand, hand your child over to a life that could destroy him. But the thing about God that's different than us is He's everywhere at the same time. He is everywhere all at the same time. And He honors our, our free will choice. He honors our choices. He will not violate our free will. So wherever that wayward one is, if there's one out there, you're wayward right now. Wherever you're at, God's there. He knows where you're at. And it's His desire to bring that one back to the light. It's His desire. It's as long as He doesn't have to violate their free will, it's His desire to bring them back into the saving grace that they, they once knew again that they can come back to Him. The truth that was told to them, they can come back to Him. That's what He wants. That's what He desires. So now we might be a long ways off. And that journey might go a long way from that child coming back to you. It's only a turnaround to go back to the Lord. And He's waiting for them right there. Just for them to make the one step. And He's going to put a coat around them. And He's going to bring them back. I'm going to tell you. You cannot pray and ask God and believe God for anything whenever your heart is torn to the point that you cannot you're in anguish all the time over some child that is lost when you're dwelling with them in that bad place God wants us to go with him and be close to him put our faith in him He'll take care of our children. He will. This morning, I'm going to ask Aaron to go back.